0: Coming up
1: today on The Story. The song Reality, it really sprang out of one line, and when you're on your own and it's just you, does your heart long for more? There's people in my own family that I sing that for. You know, and it's, I guess it's offered as a song for anyone who has that moment like that, where when you, you get that inkling of a spark or a connection, then don't let go of it. You know, savor it like a really great taste in your mouth. The Story. The story.
2: G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story, where today we have a musical one for you with Mick MacGyver. He's a singer, songwriter, guitarist and all-round creative guy based in Victoria's Yarra Valley. Today we'll hear his life journey and the inspiration behind a few of his songs. That's Mick MacGyver chatting with Eric Scatterbow, who also invited a long-time friend of Mick, Peter Menhennet, to join the conversation.
1: It's good to be with you again, Mick. Good to see yeah. you, Pete. You don't look a day older than the last time I saw you.
2: That's right, yeah.
3: We met in the early 90s. Uh, We went to the same church. We did. And uh, we both took part in the uh, performing arts company
4: there.
1: We did. Mudpack. Mudpack. That
4: was the name of it? Mudpack?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mudrick Performing Arts Company. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of things uh, did you do? Oh,
3: we wrote the productions that we did every Christmas and we did them at Easter as well. Correct. They were big musical extravaganzas with a cast of dozens of people from within the church. And it was very, very popular. It was. Just uh, to
1: fill the place. Yep.
3: We had a season that would run maybe seven nights and it was standing room only. Yep.
1: Every one of those nights. And what did you do, Mick? My main involvement with mudpack was on the worship team playing leading worship and i was involved in some of the productions mainly some of the easter productions but um as a musician i wasn't i make a great actor no <laughs> as an actor i make a great musician that's the way around <laughs> there you go. but uh, we had live music in many of those
3: productions yes, and yeah. mick was part of the band that's that it. produced that beautiful music
4: so, obviously, music is a big part of your life, but let's go all the way back to the beginning. Where were you born and raised?
1: Uh-huh. I was born in a, a town that hopefully your listeners will know called Yalorn. It's a town that no longer exists. Well, exists in name only because it was a part of an open cut uh, coal mine way out east of uh, Melbourne. And um, the town was always going to be reclaimed. So, that there were houses and a whole town built on the site but uh, uh, the residents there knew that one day that the coal would be claimed and the houses would have to go and that's what's happened so it's now a, a giant hole in the ground that I drive past and proudly say to my children that's where I was born, that hole there <laughs> <laughs> So you literally can say you came from a hole in the, the ground <laughs> It's a dark brown black hole. And not
4: everybody can say that.
1: It sure is. Well, yeah. what
4: happened after you were
1: born? Well, <laughs> you know, after you sh- got out of the hole? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, we moved around a fair bit. Dad was a teacher, and um, we moved around with his teaching appointments, but eventually settled in the outer east of Melbourne in um, Glen Overly, uh, and then in Springvale, and did most of my growing up in Springvale, which is – the multicultural place it, it always has been. You know, people think it's multicultural now, but it was then too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It used to have the migrant hostel, uh, where the, whatever the intake of migrants was at the time would come through the hostel. Yeah. And when did music enter into your life? Oh, it's a good question. Um, I had a really good mate in, um, primary school who had had polio when he was young and, um, he, uh, unable to take part in any kind of sporting life. His parents bought him a guitar, and I wanted to be... He was a brilliant guitarist, and I um, wanted to be just like like Pete, and uh, so... Not I, this Pete. No, this well, Pete. I, I want to be just like Pete, as handsome <laughs> and dapper as he is.
4: That's another story. That's a different story. Hey, yeah,
1: I love you too, Mick. <laughs> hey, I'm giving you a plug about <laughs> it. Um, but getting back to the story, yeah, yeah, back to the story. So, yeah, I wanted to be like Pete. I pestered my my parents. There's a bit of alliteration for you, hmm. and they they bought me a guitar when I was about eleven years old, and um, just went on from there. I just found my hit my straps, had lessons for about two weeks, and then the teacher moved, and uh, but have been playing guitar ever since, and uh, been around music ever since. So, and. Mick has
3: a claim to fame that no one else can try to grab. He's the instigator of the largest outdoor musical performance in the whole of the Yarra Valley. Oh yes, probably the whole of um, the eastern side of Melbourne.
1: Is that right? Yes. I I don't know that we could claim. I'll claim the Yarra Valley one, but I don't know that we can claim the whole eastern. Side of Melbourne. That's okay. a carols by candlelight event. That oh, okay. We, yeah. Yeah. Well, on oh no, if the weather's, we have that. We have them outdoors in Warburton yep. a, as they stand it. will probably be a little bit different this year. Uh, if the weather's good, we'll get five thousand people turn up. Uh, at Fantastic. The, these at a free event where people who, in in my eyes, my summary of it is people who would never darken the door of uh, any church will turn up and they'll sit on the lawn and they'll sing the ancient carols. Yeah. Mm. Um, Isn't that great? Yeah, it's an amazing. It's, it's an amazing opportunity and one that we're mindful not to waste when it comes our way. So,
4: Okay. And going back to growing up, uh, was faith a part of your life
1: in your childhood? Absolutely, yeah. I was born into a house of faith and uh, very observant of their faith, my parents were, and, uh, and I grew up, I, I have very, even though I, I've progressed on from that stage, and that's just the natural, the way things happen when you grow up, I guess, but but very grateful to my parents for, for the seeds they sowed. You know, they gave me a great grounding in, in how to believe and what to believe just through their own example of faith and their diligence to being faith-filled people too. Uh, my dad was a man of deep prayer and, um, you know, even though he died when I was only 25, so I, I kind of missed the best years, you mm. know, uh, but I can honestly say that what I believe today has a founding in fact, you know, there's a really interesting story to that. Um, my wife and I had the opportunity to go to the to Scotland a few years ago, which is where my parents were from. And we were, went to the island of Iona, which is where um, Faith came to the north of England through Iona, through the island of Iona. Mm-hmm. I remember sitting on the dock waiting for the ferry, uh, as we'd had this, my wife and I had had this amazing day sitting, uh, walking all over the island of Iona. And I looked at her and I said, do you realize the faith that we inherited could be attributed to the work of this, the people that came to this island? We were sitting in that place where that our faith was, had come through. It was almost like we'd come full circle. So yeah, that's a sense of deep gratitude for, for the work of the, the people that, that brought faith through Iona and what we inherited through mm-hmm. that as well. So. Now, you- You just mentioned your wife, so obviously you got married. Tell us a little bit about Uh, Bernadette. Bernadette, yes, Bernie Bernadette. Uh, Bernadette's moment. We just celebrated our thirty seventh wedding anniversary. Congratulations! Uh, Well done. Had dinner last night with all of our beautiful kids to celebrate that. Which, well, not all. One of them's in England, but we phoned him and sent (laughs) alone.
4: That's
1: good. So, Bernadette and I met when we were about sixteen or seventeen. We were on. We had gone on a leadership training course and crossed each other's paths and um, I was smitten pretty much from from day one and, but she wasn't smitten by me so I, it took a couple of years of, <laughs> mm. of pursuing and persuading uh, but uh, once she realised that my natural charm and beauty that we're, were authentic then she Oh, she that's was, wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I can say... From knowing them for a few years, they're both mutually smitten still. Yes, it's oh, good.
4: Thirty-seven years later. Yep.
1: Well, that's one thing we we say to each other. It is just, and we tell people quite proudly. We say we're still really good friends. Apart from, mm-hmm. apart from yeah. the natural state of love, you know, we're actually still really good friends.
4: And I understand that you were involved in ministry together. Uh,
1: after we were getting yep. married. Yeah. Uh, not long after we'd had our, well, Bernadette was pregnant with our third child. And we had received confirmation that a proposal we'd put together to uh, live in Christian community and run a retreat centre for mainly for secondary school students um, had been approved. And so the property had been made available. And on the 1st of January in 1988, we moved into a place called Casa Politi, which is a a campsite that's built around a a 100-year-old house. Uh, So we ran it as a house of welcome and we invited people to come and live and share with us based pretty much based on what I call a poetic understanding of Acts 2.42 you know, where they, you know, that great uh, 42 to 47 where they talk about how they lived together, they shared things in common, they went from house to house and got added to their number daily, those that were being saved. And so we lived in this that expression of community in that place, um, but we didn't want it to be introverted. We wanted it to be um, a place where we could actually evangelize as well. So we ran retreats that where we got students coming mostly for three days at a time, mm-hmm. and then we would run programs. Um, we we called it that we ran retreats for people that didn't want to go on them because uh, <laughs> they were only there because the school said we're having a retreat. You're going kind of thing. Yeah, and so we we would run these retreats and. Um, yeah, do our best. You know, so we had some wins. Well, how do you run a retreat for somebody who doesn't want to be there? Well, you you work really hard. You get really smart at working with the peer group. Um, at,
4: at what age again
1: was it? Most mostly senior secondary school students, so fifteen to seventeen years old. Mm. That kind of age group. Yeah, and they were. You know, it varied, but that was the main thrust of what we did. But yeah, you work very hard with the peer group, and you work to win the peer group over to actually get them used to the idea of what we're doing, and you bring them along gradually. You don't, you know, we would (laughs) we would often start a retreat by pandering to their worst fears. You know, what does that look like? Well, uh, I would dress as a a very religious-looking person, (laughs) or or myself, or one of the others would dress and. uh, so they're rolling
4: their eyes, thinking, oh, no, oh here you he know. goes. And I'd, this, you know, be- I'd
1: walk around with my Bible in my hand, and I'd tell them, "We okay, We're gonna. it's going to be really exciting. We're going to have, you know, we, we'd hammer it up a bit, but, you know, we're going to have you know, a couple of hours of prayer. Then we're going to have a three-hour service, and then and then uh, we're going to really get going after that, you know. And you'd see the look on these kids' faces and go, oh, my goodness. <laughs> and when they brought up the subject of,
3: and it's a two-day fast, they nearly died.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Because then the idea was, you know, once we totally frightened the kids, we'd say, well, this is nothing of what it's going to be like. They're your worst fears. It's not going to be like this. It's going to be centered on where you are as a person. And yes, we will talk and about it. And music. That. And, well, yes. Not always. But, uh, interestingly, music wasn't as big a part of it as it probably should have been. Because you're more focused on actually running the retreat, you know, yeah. than, so the mechanics of actually keeping everything running, um, writing sessions, we'd often change sessions at the last minute because, you know, you'd, you'd have A plan but, but B and C had cropped up in, in the previous session. So we'd have to come up with a way of addressing B and C in the next few meetings. But often, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd always have my guitars in the lounge room at the retreat and we'd often sit around at night after the retreat had finished for the day playing and singing and doing all that stuff. So.
4: Yeah. And you reckon you made contact?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely we did. You know, would regularly we call we would always take kids the students for a walk. Through the bush, uh, at the end of a day, you would offer a night walk. And some of the discussions you would have with students, you know, because now we're not in the formal process of doing the retreat sessions, but the, the students, you'd find students would Id- alley up alongside you and they'd start talking to you about some of the stuff that had been said that day. And, uh, it was quite an interesting, we called it the session where you can never write because mm. people would just naturally communicate with you, you mm. know. And so you'd talk about some of the, some of their deep fears and some of their, their questions about faith and that sort of thing. So, yeah, no, I mean, who knows? It's one of those things where they, they pass through our place for three days, and you know, then we never saw him again. So mm-hmm. you, you got no idea. But and all we would ever pray is that some sort of seed would be planted. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: You're listening to the story today. We're hearing musician Mick MacGyver share his life journey. Next, we'll hear some of his music and the inspiration behind a few of his songs. That and more when we return. The Story
0: If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888.
2: Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. Our guest today is musician Mick McIver, and before we get back to his story, here's some of his music. And as we heard before the break, Mick and his wife used to host spiritual retreats for teenagers, and those retreats inspired him to write this song called Reality.
5: Just because I can't see you, doesn't mean that you're not real. Just cause I can't touch you Doesn't mean that I can't feel it. Oh no Just go coincidentally My life's kinda strange All the pieces fall together Funny kind of way Everything's changed Nothing stayed the same Reality of reason never be the same That's the song
4: "Reality" by our guest today, Mick McIver. Now, Mick, tell us a little bit more about the story behind that
1: song. There was no one story behind it, but it's more a sense of a gathering sense of when you sit in a room with the people that are genuinely getting to the point where they are honestly questioning their faith and what they believe in. Um, then you, know, you hear the same story repeated over and over again, and you, and I guess this song was like trying to collect and distill uh, all those years of listening to those. Kids crying out for, you know, that they want to believe in this. Mm -hmm. So you're trying to give them a path that they can walk uh, where they can believe in it. So the the song Reality, without waffling too much, um, it really sprang out of one line and uh, it was a blessing. We used to kind of, uh, at the end of a retreat, we used to give a couple of different blessings, um, benedictions, if you like. Mm -hmm. And one was, May the peace of Christ disturb you. Uh, that was oh, what,
4: that's a provocative line. Yeah. What does that mean?
1: Well, what do you think it means? <laughs>
4: <laughs> Peter, what do you think? <laughs>
3: they get starting to think about Christ, where perhaps they never had before. And a retreat like this was a great
4: seed that Mick and his team were sowing. Mm. Well, one of the lines in the song, thank you for that. That was very good. See how I handballed that off to Peter? Then? That's very good. Yeah, yeah, professionally, yeah. <laughs> Does anything change? Does your heart long for more? So that's kind of the, yeah. the thinking.
1: So the line before that is the pertinent one. Yeah. When you're on your own and it's just you. And that's what the other uh-huh. blessing we used to leave them with is when you get home and you're on your own and you haven't got your peer group around you distracting you mm-hmm. and it's just you in your room, think back on some of the things that happened and some of the things that reacted in your heart. So when you're on and it's just you, does anything change? Mm-hmm. Does your heart long for more? Yeah, cause you Because you'll get to the point where you just can't reason faith anymore. You've just got to accept that this is what you believe you know? some would say that's somewhat simplistic but I'd, I'd say it's more poetic it's actually what we saw happen you know that mm-hmm. people would have these great moments and you'd want them to go home and not lose that you know just just savor that in your mouth for a little bit you know that mm-hmm. you actually had a connection and don't let the peer group distract you just recognize that that happened and find somewhere to put that that you can use it you know?
4: And that's always the challenge of camps or retreats. You can have this emotional high, a spiritual connection with God where you're close to him, yeah. very emotional peak. But then how do you keep that going throughout your whole life so it's not just a one-off experience? That's it. Yeah, you got it in a nutshell, yeah. So that's what you uh, were trying to kind of capture that with the song.
1: Yeah, that's it. Trying to just get a sense of what that was all about, you know. And and since that moment, then you know, there's there's people in in my own family that I sing that for, you know, Mm -hmm. that. That have moments where they connect, yeah, you know, and it's, I, I guess it's offered as a song for anyone. As a moment like that, where when you you get that inkling of a spark or a connection, then don't let go of it, you know, mm-hmm. savor it like a really great taste in your mouth, and, and let it let it become something that you you want that you want to taste that again. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, long for it. I think Mick and his music have inspired
3: thousands over the years that I've known him. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a a great provider of wonderful music in the church that we both belong to and that I'm sure helped connect people to Christ thanks Ben I really did very kind of
1: well it
5: took me all these years to find out what I already know that every step on every journey leads me back to home home. When it seems like all the voices try to sell some point of view When you're on your own It's just you Does anything change? Does your heart long for more? Reality of reason just goes flying out your door.
4: One thing that's neat about your CDs is uh, they've pretty much been a family affair.
1: Is that right? Correct, yeah. Yeah, we've got a very very musical family. We we did a lot of music in church together when they were growing up, and they've all become really good musicians in their own right. My son's a brilliant drummer. My daughter is just, just a songwriter made in heaven, you know, and um, my other son Jeremy is in his own band and plays music. And my wife Bernadette's a really great singer and a great percussionist and so I suspect the album you're leaning towards is the one called Twilight Waltz. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I was learning how to use the music software so I thought I've got a whole bunch of instrumentals I'll record and I had I just drew on my family, I said, Come and play, you know, can you come and play this? Can you do that? Can you play percussion on this? Can you and um my daughter even wrote one song for it which was called Summer Storm.
4: a little bit about making that. What was it like you you said you started off just doing it in your home?
1: Yeah, I've got a small home studio set up um with uh, Pro Tools, which is the industry standard and some good microphones. So it was like, well, why would I pay a studio? I'll just do it uh, which is has some interesting side effects cuz if you put headphones on and listen to the album you can hear a car going up a hill. <laughs> <laughs> is that right? And I, I drew the line at my neighbour walking past the window one day, coughing his little heart out. And I thought, no, maybe I can't do that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but but you were just doing this more or less for yourself, originally? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and I had a, a musical confidant that I um that I sit at the feet of his wisdom pretty regularly and he said no you got to do a bit more with this one because it's actually a really good album so what well, was a, just a side project to learn how to use the software it ended up being a fully blown album that featured all the members of my family plus a few special friends so well and it's called twilight
4: waltz it's available on itunes i picked up a few of those songs myself the other day very good fantastic there you go supporting the arts there there you go. <laughs> oh, uh, checks in the mail Well, unfortunately, we're running out of time. We're going to hear some of your daughter playing the piano, you playing guitar together, and your wife's on that. Any final comments about uh, music for some aspiring musicians out there?
1: Uh, Look, what what I will close with is I had a friend that I used to encourage a fair bit, and he used to berate his musical gift. Uh, and I, I said to him, Do you realize every time you berate the gift that you, or belittle the gift that you think you've been given, you belittle the gift that God gave you. So you're actually belittling God. Mm. So you actually, if you think it's a gift, then you need to explore that and explore it with some people that you trust, you know, and get better at it, you know, um, if, that, if you think that's what you're called to. And there's all sorts of ways to do that. Well, Mick, thank you so much for sharing
4: your insights and the stories you're behind welcome. some of your songs. No, Thanks, it was Pete. Good for, to see you again,
5: Mick.
3: Good, good to be
4: seen, right. Yeah. And we'll end today with more of Mick's music. And if you'd like to learn more about his music, you can go to his website, mickmciver.com. That's mickmciver.com.
2: was eric Scatterbo and peter manhannet chatting with musician mick MacIver from victoria's yarrow valley it was great to hear how god's been working in his life everything from sharing seeds of faith in the lives of teenagers to making beautiful music together with his family a rich and full life indeed well thanks for joining us i'm jimmy colfax encouraging you to share your story with someone
0: today next time on the story
2: It all gets titled postnatal depression.
4: For me, it was less depression, it was more anxiety. So I was a little bit anxious about breastfeeding, and I'd say to Michael, I'm really panicking, I just can't face the next feed. And Michael's my husband, and he would sort of look at me strangely and go, but you've done it 15 times, you've done it 20 times, you've done it for the last 10 days, how can you not face the next feed?
2: Mim Rodda struggled with postnatal depression and anxiety after the birth of her children. She shares the insights she learned after going through those experiences next time.
0: The Story. The story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. Before you go...